Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Amen. So there was this country preacher who decided one Sunday that he was just going to skip church. And um, he said, I'm, I'm going to skip church, so I'm going to head to the hills and do some hunting. And so at, at, right as he rounded the corner um, on this, this twisty kind of trail, he and a bear collided. And it sent him and his gun in opposite directions. And before he knew it, his rifle was trapped, falling down the hill this way. He was falling down the hill the other way. And he landed on a rock and he broke both of his legs. And that's the good news. <laughs> The bad news was that this ferocious bear was charging at him from a distance, and he could not move. I mean, imagine how panicked you'd be. He, he prayed. He said, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for skipping church this morning to come out here and hunt. Would you please forgive me? Just grant me one wish. He said, please make a Christian out of this bear that's coming at me. Please, Lord. At that very instant, the bear skidded to a halt, fell to his knees, clasped his paws together and began to pray aloud right at the preacher's feet. He said, Dear Lord, bless this food I'm about to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about prayer and intercession. Um, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is our intercessor, how he prays on our behalf. But um, how many of us in this room would admit that we've said or thought um, something like this? You know, I, sometimes, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I don't know how to pray or I don't really know what to pray. Has anybody, anybody ever felt like that? Um, how many of us in this room have gone to God in prayer and when you've tried to pray, you've just had this incredible burden, there's a problem that you're facing that was so heavy and you just didn't know where to begin. Well, today we're going to continue our series in Romans. And um, Pastor Anthony shared last week of how we have hope in suffering. And so we're still in Romans chapter 8. So essentially with, with suffering as the context of ta- today's message, uh, I want to look at some key truths in understanding intercession and prayer and how the Holy Spirit empowers this to happen. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 28. Of course, the passage will be on the screen. And the first truth is this. We have access to God. We have access to God. Verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, before we move on, I just want us to take a moment to think about this for a second. I think I can, we can make a statement that we, like we have access to God and just kind of blow past it. But we need to recognize you and I have access to the creator of the heavens and the earth. You and I have access to the God of everything. And I consider that amazing. 
In this time, unlike the Roman kings like Caesar, for instance, little would have had access to Caesar, right? Um, But Paul asserts here in this text that we have access to the king of kings, and he, he grants us access to himself. And so how do we receive this? Well, Paul says that we've received God's spirit when he adopted us as his children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Years ago in preparation for another sermon, I, re- I was reading about Rome and how um, child abandonment is very common or was very common in the Roman culture. And so what would happen was uh, a father, uh, they would have a child and the father would um, look at the child and if he received the child, if the child was acceptable to him, he would pick up the child And if he decided that for whatever reason he did not want the child, he would just turn and walk away and abandon the child. Um, It was uncommon in in Roman culture for them to kill their children. They would just literally abandon their kids. And for for the father, it could be for any reason. The father might have wanted a boy, and the mom had a girl. The father could have looked at the child and saw a birthmark or some kind of birth defect and decided, I don't want this child. And... And the father would literally turn and walk away and abandon their child. And when Paul uses this imagery, when he talks about adoption, praise God, (laughs) the mic fell out in the spirit. When when Paul uses this imagery of adoption, this this is the culture that Paul's writing to. And so we see God the Father, he sends his son to save us from our brokenness and for our sin so that you and I can become God's adopted sons and daughters with God as our father. That's incredible, isn't it? Not only that, but we are then given the genes of our heavenly father as he gives us his Holy Spirit and it says uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us. So Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So to be marked with a seal is similar to the way that a farmer would brand cattle. I know nothing about that. I'm just uh, Carrie is our, our spokesman for branding, or not branding, but <laughs> farming and stuff like that. <laughs> she brands Dennis all the time when he's not doing what he should. But, uh, but farmer would brand their cattle to show ownership. And so in Rome, slaves would be marked to show who owned them or what particular family or estate owned these slaves. And again, Paul's using this imagery. He's writing to a people who were literally marked and sealed as slaves to show who owned them, who bought them, and who they belonged to. And in this verse, Paul is essentially saying, you know, when we come to Christ, we receive God's seal on our life, the Holy Spirit. And this seal is him saying and declaring to us that you are mine. I've adopted you, I've redeemed you, and you are mine. And we have access to our Heavenly Father because of this adoption. And it's the the Holy Spirit that identifies us. People see the Holy Spirit identifies us as His children, and thus we call God the Father, Abba, Father. Biblical scholars say that Abba was a term used by little children because it was a simple word. And um, the word 
was homely and affectionate. And so it, it's, it, it's another word for father. And it, it was, it's in a similar way, um, those of you who have children can understand this. Like when my kids are just getting old enough to talk, they, they start calling me dada or daddy. Or if you're a mom, you know, you, you're, you hear your kids say mama or mommy. You know, in the same way, Jamie and I, we sometimes jokingly like to call our kids by the names that their siblings give them. Um, and Gabe's going to kill me for this, but that's okay. So my kids call Gabe, Gaby baby. <laughs> he really hates me for that. Um, and we, so we call him Gaby baby occasionally, just joking around with him. And then Kaylee, they call her Kales. It's just like, I think, a short for Kaylee. And um, uh, Zoe, lately, they've been calling her Zoster Toaster. I don't know. I don't even know why. But, and then Olivia is, is either Liv or Libby. But Abba is, is a simple expression like this. It's an easy, uh, affectionate, personal identifier. And when we cry out Abba, or we cry out to our Father, we are in essence praying this incredibly personal, affectionate prayer. I, this is the picture that I had last night when I was preparing. It's, it's as if one of my kids, I'm sitting on the couch, and one of my kids come up to me and sit next to me, and they, they you know, scooch in close to me, and they say, Daddy, I need you. And this is the origin of prayer. Prayer is not this beautifully written Hallmark card. Prayer is not someone standing up in front of people and speaking very impressively. Prayer comes out of a simple connection that we have with God through the Holy Spirit. So we have access to God. We have access to God. Secondly, we have authority with God. We have authority with God. Verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Um, one of the... Understanding that the authority that we've been given by God is honest, honestly, for me, we've been talking about this as a staff, um, you know, months ago. But it's been one of the most transformative things the Lord has shown me this year. God has given us, God has given us authority in prayer. God has given us authority. Paul says here we're heirs, and this shows our worth with God. You know your your value in relation to your family um, by how much perhaps might be included in in a will. And we inherit, we inherit, in the same way, everything with Christ. From start to finish throughout the Bible, what is true of Christ is true of you and I. We have authority in prayer because even Jesus said, ask the Father for anything in my name and it will be given to you. Ask the Father anything in my name and it will be given to you. It really caused me to question personally, you know, I, I don't take advantage of this authority as, as much as I should. I don't mean take advantage of it in a, a negative way. 
But God gives us authority. Um, when you watch a football game, who in here likes football? Anybody? A few? Um, when, we like, when we watch a football game, like the one we watched yesterday, for instance, <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> I'm from Ohio. So when you watch a football game like, like yesterday where Ohio just destroyed Michigan, um, you know, you'll notice this guy, he's in black and white stripes, he's often pretty thin, and he has a whistle, and, and it's the referee. And you notice, you know, his job, he, he enforces the rules of the NFL or college rules, and his job is, like, in comparison, you see these offense and defensive linemen that are like 320 plus pounds. I mean, just huge men, right? And this referee is able to push back these men that are 320 pounds, like 5, 10, 15 yards because of some penalty. And here's the thing. You and I both know that that referee does not have the power nor the strength to push back a 320-pound guy. He, has, he does not have the power and strength to do that, but he does have the authority to do it. And in the same way, God has given us authority in prayer. So in verse 17, we move from acknowledging who the Father is, God, our Abba Father, and what that means for us, because it means a great deal for us. If we don't know who God is, we don't know who we are. And understanding who God is is the key to understanding who we are and what we are created to do. To the latter portion of verse 17, it says, if we, if we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. We're going to read um, a few verses, and I want us to notice how many times Paul uses the words wait or hope or groan in these next few verses. Let's start with verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so Paul uses the word hope six times throughout that text. He uses faith and and future tense or wait three times or groan another three times. Last week, Pastor Anthony made this point. He said, groaning is the process of working through suffering in anticipation of something better. 
Groaning is the process of working through suffering in anticipation of something better. And listen, I know about groaning. I've heard it all morning in the lament of Michigan's loss to Ohio State. So I get it, guys. I get it. I promise I'm done. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, intercession involves the praying of the power of the Holy Spirit in anticipation of something better. And this might be, this, this might be uh, praying for someone who is in spiritual or physical danger. For instance, my mother, when we were younger, we'd go to my dad's every weekend. My dad um, just made a lot of poor choices. And she said the second we walked out the door, she would hit her knees and pray that God would protect us while we were gone. And I look at my life and I know that God protected me. It might involve prayer for a vision or dream that God's placed in your heart. My wife right now, God's putting big dreams in her heart and we're praying for those and and we're believing. Maybe your heart is broken from disappointment and needs healing. Listen, whatever the case may be, this is the key. Because we are heirs with Christ, because we are children of God, you and I have God-given authority to pray in Jesus' name in accordance to will, His will, and Jesus says, it will be given to you. We have the authority to pray in Jesus' name and it will be given to you. And this is an authority that no man can give and no man can take away. The power and authority to pray in the Spirit is ours. And it's certainly not ours to boast of, rather, as Paul says at the end of verse 17, to share in his glory. And so how do we do that? Pastor Anthony typically moves from information to application by saying, let's put some, put some leather on it. Jamie told me I need to change it up and come up with my own thing. And so someone who loves food, um, she said this was perfect. I came up with, let's put some gravy on it. <laughs> So entrusting and, and understanding and knowing that we have access to God, which is an incredible thing. God has given us his authority through his Holy Spirit to pray in Jesus' name anything according to his will, and it says it will be given to us. And so how do we move from just, uh, at times, lackadaisical prayers um, you know, praying just before you sit down to eat? How do we move from that to this kind of prayer that God's, uh, Paul's talking about? Well, the first thing is this. We need to trust the Holy Spirit and acknowledge our weakness. Trust the Holy Spirit and acknowledge our weakness. Can you put that up there, bud? Verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we, are, we ought to pray for. And so prayer, prayer acknowledges our weakness. Prayer concedes that we can't do this on our own. And in our weakness, we acknowledge our dependence on God. Sometimes I feel like my, my prayer is like this. I say, dear Lord, you know, so far I've been doing all right. You know, I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy have been too grumpy, have been nasty or selfish or 
overindulgent. And you know, I'm really glad about that. But God, in a few minutes, I'm about to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm really going to need your help. Does anybody else feel like that? Listen, prayer concedes our weakness and invites God to show himself faithful and dependable and strong. Uh, The word what, in verse 26 where it says we do not know what we ought to pray for, the word what in the Greek means the very little thing. And here's the thing, this is something that I think I've matured in and something I've learned to be true. I, I, of course, have these, um, these spiritual uh, leaders in my life that I look up to and respect a whole lot. And, you know, I'd watch them pray and just think, man, gosh, they are incredibly close to God. And they love God. And, and all of that's true. But no matter who you are, there are different seasons where we're going to feel a weakness and incapability to pray. And maturity in prayer is accepting that we are weak. The most mature people in prayer understand that sometimes we go to prayer with this sense of absence from God. When we spend time with God, we spend time waiting rather on God until He begins to activate these areas in our life that we need to intercede, like my mother dropping to her knees, praying for protection for her children. And waiting reminds us that power in prayer is an act of His grace and not His greatness. Because again, it's not ours to boast about. There's nothing that we can do but surrender to Him. So trust the Holy Spirit and, and, sorry, and acknowledge your weakness. Second point is this. Trust the Holy Spirit to adapt your requests. Trust the Holy Spirit to adapt your requests. Verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Um, I thought about this too last night. Have you ever thought, like, what if I'm praying for the wrong thing? Like, what if I'm praying for the wrong thing? What if I'm asking the wrong thing? Has anybody ever thought that? What if I'm just, what if I'm praying the wrong thing? And I, I think, I think to a point, this is the point that Paul is trying to make. We will pray the wrong thing sometimes. I want to share this illustration that kind of supports this. Um, a businesswoman from, I'm sorry, a businessman from time to time would write a report to the chairman of the board of his corporation. And he, he would write that letter and would give it to his secretary and she would read it and then type it out for him on company letterhead. To his approval, she would correct grammatical mistakes and misspellings, then she would send the letter off to his superiors. After doing this many times, he received a commendation for his good and timely reports that helped improve the business. Now, he knew deep in his heart that he had commented on a few things and suggested others, but he really didn't feel like he deserved such accolades. So he went back to the report's that he hand wrote and compared with them to the ones the secretary had typed. And he discovered that the secretary had typed not what he said, but what he really meant. And with the award he received, he gave to her an award of her own. So one of the things I think 
Paul is saying here that, that the Holy Spirit does is he takes our groans and our desires, which can often be misdirected because of what we're experiencing in life, what we're going through in life, and he straightens them out. He says, God, like, Josh is a mess right now. <laughs> this is what Josh means. God, this is what Josh wants, but this is what God or Josh needs. This is a hard question. You have a loved one that's ill, and you've, and you've watched them, you know, you've watched them suffer for a long time. Do you pray that the Lord would take them home to escape their suffering because you know that they're going to be in a better place? Or do you pray that the Lord would heal them and, and keep them here with, the, with you? Don't know what to pray. <laughs> don't know how to pray. I've shared this many times, but for those of you who don't know, 10 years ago, my wife got cancer. I was married previous to my current wife. She got cancer, brain cancer, was terminally ill, and they gave her um, a year to live. And so she went through a lot of stuff, and it, it was really hard. But fast forward to the last, I'd, I, I believe, probably the last three months of her life. We were sitting in a hospital bed and I was just so frustrated. I was a pastor at that time. I was frustrated. And I honestly just really wrestling with my faith at that point. Hoping God would do one thing and watching something else happen. And it was it was it was very hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. And I remember sitting on the bed with her and I was praying for her because I, she was very ill. And I was praying like, Lord, just touch my wife and heal her. God, what a testimony it would be if you completely healed her of something that doctors said that could not be healed. And she grabbed my hand in the middle of the prayer, and this is, nothing, this is something I'll never forget. And she said, Josh, if the Lord takes me home, I'm content. Of course, if the Lord keeps me here, I'm happy. But if the Lord takes me home, I'm content. I just thought, like lately, just kind of thinking about that experience. She was an incredible, incredible person. Um, but to, to be at that place in your life where you're 20 years old, Three months from passing away, you have a one-year-old daughter. And you trust the Lord enough to say, God, your will be done. You see, maturity in prayer, and this is a hard thing to say, so I preface what I'm about to say. Understand, what I'm about to say is an incredibly hard thing. I don't say this like, this is easy. But maturity in prayer is laying at God's feet what we want in exchange for what He wants. Maturity in prayer is laying at God's feet what we want in exchange for what He wants. 
really been thinking back on my life and just asking that question, God, honestly, even experiencing that, God, like, is this my heart? Like, am I at a place in my faith where I would say, God, whatever you want, Here's the thing, God sees what we can't see. God knows what we can't know. You might be here this morning and you've experienced some suffering or you've watched someone that you love suffer. And if you're like me and I'm stubborn, you know, you ask God this question and and, angrily I would ask God this question. You know, Lord, how does this bring you glory? God, how does this benefit your kingdom? The answer answer is, you know, we may never know. I will say in the case of my wife, and again, I've, I've shared this. In the case of my wife, she's laying in the hospice bed weeks before passing away. And a doctor, a psychologist had been working with her for these past two years leading up to her passing, walks into hospice and said, because of the way you've walked out your faith, I've given my life to Christ. And so I know my wife would say this, or I know her name was Mary, I know she would say this. Like if the Lord used her and brought her into this world, so that that one man could spend eternity with his heavenly father, she would have said it was worth it. Again, I want to ask this question of ourselves because it's like hard in my heart right now. Are, are we at a place where we could say that? The thing that I do know that is that Paul gives us hope in verse 28 which is, a, is something that we can cling tight to. He says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. So our prayer might sound something like this, Lord, this is not at all the way that I thought it would look like. You know, I'm experiencing things that I never thought I, I would experience. But I do know that you're good. And though I have trouble trusting you sometimes. I know that your word says that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. So God, I trust you. God, I trust you with my marriage. God, I trust you with my children. I trust you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in Jesus' name. Trust the Holy Spirit to adapt your requests, and then lastly, trust the Holy Spirit to articulate your needs. End of verse 26, Paul says this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know, sometimes you and I experience situations that are just painful or complex, and we do not even have it in us to utter a single word. All we have in us is either to groan or to weep in a way that could not possibly express how we're feeling. 
And Paul says that the Holy Spirit is able to articulate to God what we need when we cannot. My grandpa is like, he's 74. He's an incredible man. He's, he, essentially, he's my father. And he's a godly, godly man. I remember when I was going through this stuff, and I, like, when it just happened, and he came, he drove down to stay with me, and I said, Grandpa, I just, I don't know what to pray. I can't, I don't even have it in me to pray. And he told me, he's like, there are people that love you, that are praying for you. But more than that, you have a God that loves you, that sees you, that knows you, that hasn't left you, and the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf right now. I want to invite the worship team up and our prayer partners. If we have any prayer partners, would you come down to the front? You see, God's, God's just not given us a book of instructions on how to pray, like this is how we should pray. But God has also given us a helper, someone to pray with us and for us, and that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in this room this morning, and you, you felt like you, you just didn't know how to pray or what to pray at times. Maybe you admit that in light of the suffering that you've been going through or the suffering you've seen someone go through, that prayer isn't even making any difference. Perhaps this morning the Lord's revealing to you for the first time, for some of us again, that He is our Abba Father, our Daddy. Maybe you just admit this morning, I, just, I need help trusting the Holy Spirit when I'm weak, when I don't know what to say, when I don't have the words to say. Maybe you're in a place like I am this morning where you just admit there's still a big part of me that wants what I want. And I have a hard time releasing those things to God. Maturity and prayer is releasing to God the things that we want in exchange for the things that He wants. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. Um, purposely ended a little early this morning so we could uh, take a moment to pray. Listen, there are people in this room right now that are going through di- very difficult things. Maybe you're, you're experiencing suffering. You're watching a loved one suffer. Your family's going through something. You have this relationship that is just incredibly difficult. Whatever the case may be, I want us to be reminded this morning again that God loves each one of us. That God sees us and He knows us. God's Word says that He never leaves us 
And he never forsakes us. He never abandons us. There is not a step, think about this, there is not a step that we can take on this earth without God being present. No matter what you're experiencing this morning, no matter what you're going through, there is a God, know this, that loves you and sees you and knows what you're going through. And because he loved you, he gives you access to him this morning. Because he loves you, he's given you his helper, the Holy Spirit, to pray with authority, to say, in Jesus' name, 